when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hey everyone, welcome to a special episode of Waypoint Radio. We've been uh, fortunate enough uh, recently to be doing some of these kind of interview episodes where we've been talking to uh, various folks, including the developer of uh, Norco. Um, I was I talked to the, the designer of Tunic, uh, and today I am happy uh, to welcome uh, uh, head of developer relations uh, Arissa. And I don't know what it, Cable. What is your head of oh, Panic? Man. I like. Uh, do you co- have a co-founder? Technically co-founder. co-founder. Yeah, sure. One of my one of my uh, favorite things when I interviewed An- uh, Andrew Scholdice, who's the designer on, on Tunic, a uh, little fo- cute fox fez kind of mm-hmm. game that came out recently. Um, I asked him before I did this exact sort of setup and interview. Was like, well, what do you want me to call you as designer? Like, found yeah. like what? And he's like, I haven't really settled. And I was like, well, what are you going to put in the game credits? He's like, I don't know. Like, I'll let you know in a couple of weeks. And then, so I did that about a month before the game came out. And then I played it. Tunic's wonderful. Beat the game. And then, other than being excited to see the ending of the game, I was like, well, what did he put for his title? Like, he had had to make a choice. And his choice was to make no choice at all. The game just starts with, like, Tunic credits and then just says Andrew Schuldice and just refuses to assign... Any sort of attribution, no Incredible. creative director, nothing. The true sign of a creative director is that you just don't assign yourself the creative director. <laughs> you know, working with House House was super interesting on Goose Game because they kind of work as a collective. Uh, mm-hmm. All of them sort of are on the same level. They make all decisions as a group, which means that when we came time to make the website, we had to write a little code to randomize the order of their names <laughs> so that every time you load it up, it's never. Yeah, it's and in the game, I think does the same thing. It's it's pretty it's pretty cool. That is uh, delightful. So I have the two of you here because uh, as we speak, um, like play dates are yeah. shipping out to people <laughs> um, across the world. <laughs> yeah, I assume I, I assume the two of you are, are boxing them up um, in your house. Yes, um, yeah, that, that is. I'm just taking a break. <laughs> um, I'll get back to that. I, I, that was kind of where I wanted to start. Was yeah. uh, you know you decided to make a boutique handheld um, yeah. in. Not knowing that there would be a uh, pandemic that created a yeah. global uh, <laughs> shipping shortages, <laughs> shipping crises. Yes, um, yes. I don't know. Like you, you, you made it to some part of the end of that, the beginning right. of a different uh, journey. But right. I don't know. Like what, what has that part been like for the two of you when you realized, oh, oh shit, this is going to be. It was already a complicated thing we were biting off. Um, now we're dealing with a pandemic that is introducing a thousand <laughs> more problems. It's the worst. It's really, <laughs> truly the worst. I can give my answer that everybody can give from yeah. perspective. But like, w- one of the things about Playdate is that it was such a 
gradual project. Like there was never a moment where we sat in a big conference room and laid out the whole vision for this thing down to the smallest detail. And I think part of that was mental. There's no way we would have done it had we sat <laughs> in that conference room. Like we had to just chip away at it one very small milestone at a time. It's like, oh, I guess we got the screen working now. And oh, hey, cool. There's a, you know, we made a game or whatever. That I, I, I think that's the only way it would have happened. And so pandemic times come and it's kind of a little bit more the same. It was like, oh, huh, that chip's getting harder to find. We're going to have to figure that out. And oh, wow, like boats are stuck in the water or whatever. Like it was just another series of those things as far as my brain goes. Um, and now that it's shipping is the weirdest experience of all because I, I, we keep talking, like I keep seeing people posting that they got theirs in the mail and my brain is like, how do they get that? They're not, they're, <laughs> they're not supposed to have that. Like what happened? Like uh, shifting from it's our project. I think Nevin said this today, shifting from it's a product to it's a project to it's a consumer product is almost impossible for me. I don't know how long that's going to take. Arissa, how has the uh, pandemic times treated you <laughs> other than I mean, that I don't get to see you anymore? <laughs> I know. Yeah. I mean, I started at Panic in January 2020. And so oh my God. most of my time <laughs> yeah. at Panic Incredible. has been the pandemic. Yes. <laughs> so this is just normal uh, for you. It's like, this I don't is know, normal. I don't know what it was like when boats just went forward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's my first time doing remote work, but Fair, I mean, yeah. it, it went by pretty smoothly. I felt like we transitioned pretty quickly. But yeah, me too. Yeah, the the like shipping this week, I, I was like, is it really happening? Like, yeah. I, I just can't believe it. And even though I've only worked on it for, you know, two years, it just felt the pandemic just really extends the life and time. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, like now I'm like, oh, I guess I should start thinking about the future like <laughs> i've just been mostly thinking about like okay how do we like get this out and That's how do totally we make sure true. all the games are ready yeah. now it's like okay like how do i start talking to people outside of panic like, yeah 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 <laughs> yeah and i mean it's funny patrick because i think you kind of mentioned this in your write-up like the is it a thing or is it a platform thing right. and now our brains are kind of like at that exact same question <laughs> where it's like you know we did it we shipped the thing it, it went, honestly, probably, I think, better than any of us could have expected. And uh, it's time to line up the future. Yeah. Um, but for, for Arissa, I'm, I'm curious, you know, uh, I know a lot of these games that are, you know, shipping in the first sort of like season of, of the play date um, have been in development or even finished for, you know, uh, you know, a pretty lengthy period. But given that the play date is this device that makes the most sense when you've got it in front of you, it's physical, it's interactive. I imagine talking to developers... Um, trying to explain it to them like is is sort of you know you want to be there and like show oh hey here's how it works i imagine mm. from your perspective that must have been a challenge to sort of like all right well how do we do sort of like this presentation explanation part of the process given that usually what you do is like go to a gdc and mm. like yeah have you know here's a play date <laughs> mess with it does this bring any ideas to the table yeah i mean i i haven't had to do that yet i mean we're about to do uh a session with montreal indies um, in a couple of weeks, but like just thinking about like how do I talk about this thing without physically being there to like explain it to them and also make it you know interesting. It's so like doing it through Zoom is just so 
can be so boring. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> when, I, when I was like, when we were talking about it on our podcast this week, I was, they were constantly having to redirect me. I was like, well, it's the best if I just kind of show it to you through my webcam. And I'm like, all right, move uh, five degrees to the right. Um, no, wait. Now you've, now you've taken it off the webcam as I'm <laughs> like trying to turn myself around. Um, and, and actually most illustrative of that was like, I didn't realize, I knew the game had sort of like a lefty mode, but I didn't understand how it worked. And then one of my uh, co-hosts like explained to me how, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how that functions because they'd read about it. And then as I did that, I just went completely off the webcam as I was like, trying to wrap my brain around turning it over things, and then flipping it, it and um, trying to talk into the microphone at the same time. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. Uh, one of the things that uh, when I was trying to sort of sketch out my review, I was trying to be overly clever and think, okay, I'm going to open a piece <laughs> with like, a, what is my rich history with cranks? Do I have like a story... <laughs> Of like like an emotional story of my experience with a crank that I could like open with this and like beautiful black and white flashback. Yeah, it was like no, it was like one of like the rich friends of my parents like had a boat. And I remember one time like, oh, like cranking. Getting to do the thing? Yeah, 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 getting to do the the thing. Um, P- like you know maker? to get the boat. Do you have a pasta maker? <laughs> no, no, yeah, no I, I'm not. I'm not making my pasta. <laughs> that, didn't, that didn't change in COVID. That yeah. was not true when I was younger. Yeah. But it I, turns out they still live in a box, and then that's yeah, and that's just fine. It's easier. <laughs> for the kids too um but i did like i was curious you know i know that you know i saw the the polygon piece cable in which like the crank sort of just like came back as an idea as part of this like the the development process but like i don't know like the form factor of a crank like does that jog any memories for either of you or was like your experience with the crank uh experiencing it in this device itself i mean for me personally, yeah, I, I don't think I have a like formative crank years, but I I, <laughs> I do know that with the uh, you know the arrival of the iPhone, and and I felt this with Jesper, who is the sort of lead designer at Teenage Engineering. With the arrival of the iPhone, I definitely started to get less and less interested at just tapping on pieces of glass all the time. And yeah. and we still have game consoles, which is great. And of course, I still love them profoundly, but the device I interacted with the most on any given day, for better or usually for worse, is my <laughs> iPhone. So it was, it definitely was like, oh man, to like, that's an action that seems like it would be really cool. And like, I wish I could say that like, my pa and I went fishing every weekend or whatever. But that <laughs> I is, know, like, I know, incredibly, I know. I would be truly lying if I said that. I spent most of my time in my bedroom on my computer. So, uh, but perhaps it is a perhaps it is a fantasy of uh, you know uh, uh, something that I didn't have, which was you know a more real world uh, physical childhood. Yeah, I don't know. It it, uh, it just felt like it could be fun that you have infinite uh, you know rotational ability. You can detect the precise degree. I don't know. Arissa, do you have any crank uh, memories? I mean, I'm just like thinking about it for the first time. I'm like, I know, me too. Uh, That's a really good question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, I, I do. What comes up in my head is like sharpening pencils oh. in elementary school. Legit. Mm. Yeah. That actually always feels really good because oh, yeah. then you hit the resistance when you start to get to the part yep. that's unsharpened and then eventually it eases off. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's my answer from now on. Or is that that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. I, I've, I've recently re-encountered that because I have I have a five and a half year old and mm. a two year old. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the, the oldest is really loves like drawing things. The youngest just likes breaking things. Um, and... <laughs> Maybe they'll meet in the middle someday. That's a great combo. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it, yeah, it's a great combo for the oldest who likes to make things and watch them get broken by the... Destroyed. Yeah, it's like, you know, whenever she's doing something delicate, it's like, just go somewhere else. Like, f- lock yourself in a different room of the house. Like a safe room. Like, 
Yeah, I was like, you understand how doors work now. You can actually lock it, and I won't get mad at you because I understand that you won't get stuck in there. But I need your sister will otherwise come in and break your pencil, oh, man. Um, and man. So, but but she's like, we've been buying like nicer sort of you know like drawing tools for her as she like has gotten more precise, and like one of those has been like colored pencils, which meant we got like a pencil sharpener, and it was the first time mm. probably since grade school. Like yep. I'm not a creative person myself that I touched one of those, and I was like. This is like a this is a very satisfying process to hear like that that wood being like kind of like ground away a little bit. I was and like so I ended up like messing up the first couple of pencils because like I'm more interested in the process of this pencil being sharpened than I am in getting you the pencil for you to use um, for your drawing. But it's funny because the, the the what thing I actually landed on when I was like thinking about uh, cranks was like two things was that. Um, like a deep love for like the Resident Evil series mm. when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And so those games and games like that have like a long history of, uh, well, if you find oh, yeah. the three diamonds and you stick them into yep. the tiger helmet, that will reveal a crank <laughs> yes, yes. that you will turn yes. that will and then open up a secret passageway that reveals the laboratory that's been underneath you all along. And so like yeah. when I really did think about like, what is my history like turning cranks? It's like, well, it's like interfacing with text that says, like, do you want to turn the crank? <laughs> and and, then and slowly rotates yes, on and screen. And then watching a, yeah. Like, yeah, watching a 90s FMV <laughs> yeah. play out. And then this, the, the connected to that, which is maybe, maybe more relevant, is that I, uh, since I was very young, not something I could articulate until I was older, always found like video game accessories that allowed me to interface with games slightly differently mm. than the like traditional controller interface to be like really satisfying mm-hmm. and interesting. Like my, mm-hmm. my, it, it explains why I loved like music games. Mm-hmm. Like I w- was importing guitar freaks and dance dance revolution before those were like available in the United States. Because for some, even though like I'm not even a big music person, I have no, I can't dance. I found like, the, the notion of like interacting with a game different than like hitting A and hitting B yep. and hitting L1 and analog sticks to just be interesting. So my my as a teenager, like when the Dreamcast came around, that was like the machine made for weird accessories. I had the I had the fishing controller. Good, good, good. I was just about use. to ask. Yeah, yep. I had that, you know, Samba de Amigo, which was a, a game where you had the, the maracas, maracas. Um, <laughs> yeah. and all sorts of other shit because. And this extended as I got older to like finding things like the Wii mm-hmm. or um, uh, virtual reality. Like I just find myself maybe it's because I play games so much that I just desperately need to find a different. Like maybe like this, the the, the, the <laughs> pessimistic view of this is that I just I play so much of these things that I need a different way to think about them. But yeah. the optimist view is that is that I think games have standardized yeah. their control interfaces, and that naturally constrains the possibilities mm-hmm. of the design space. And so what I find interesting and novel is that. Even if it comes across as a gimmick at first, I like the fact that things like the Playdate mm-hmm. or like the Wii introduced designers. Well, okay, but like, what if there was a different way mm-hmm. of doing this? Like, what would that, what would that end up in? And I have to imagine that's what was a lot of the early conversations, especially cable, like early yep. on. Yep, was like, all right, we have this device in theory. What, what the hell does this mean for like people doing something with it? Yeah, and that's interesting too, because I mean. Okay, starting a platform, finding, trying to find people to make things for your platform, right? Uh, that's difficult. P- developers are busy. They have bigger fish to fry. They have bigger dreams. And so 
I think two things really did help us a lot. I mean, the crank is an obvious one. When you go to a certain type of game developer and you say, here's this thing, and look, there's a crank on their si- on the side, their brain will just immediately explode with ideas and uh, 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 w- they'll want to jump on immediately. Um, and, and that's really fun to watch. And I think it ties back to exactly what you just said. You know, we are so familiar with these controls, but the second you show a developer or potentially also a gamer, look at this new thing, then uh, you just can't help but start imagining ideas. And, you know, the screen also kind of worked oddly in a in, in a different way. Being one bit, I think, helped a lot. Where, like, mm-hmm. it's just black and white. Like, you're not going to be, you know, anyone can make art for this thing. Like, truly. Like, it, it, it's, the bar is is mellow and uh, approachable. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think you're alone. I, I think that it's just exciting to experience something new, both as a player and a developer. And um, it was interesting how some developers would make a game with the crank and others just pretended like it wasn't there at all. And, you know, right. we we stood back and said, make the game you want to make. <laughs> like, that's not why we're here. Um, but that was kind of fascinating. Like, obviously, Akita Takahashi, it'll be all about the crank, guaranteed. Right. right? right. But uh, maybe not for, for everybody. Um, and some are a mix, you know, zipper. Yeah, anyways. Uh, uh, but yeah, it, it, I, I think you're not alone. And I think that that is a, a, a compelling and interesting thing. Now, the thing we have to be careful about, right? Everybody seems to have this line in their mind, uh, which I call the gimmick line, which is a right. th- classic internet thing. I can never quite tell where that line is. Uh, it seems <laughs> is to be it complimentary or yeah, is it yeah, dismissive? Right. And, and, like, and, I, and I struggle with that myself because right. I think in, in, in some ways, like it's a it's a gimmick until it's proven that it that it isn't. And then yeah, like, right, analog right, sticks right, were right. a gimmick until you know Mario sixty four. <laughs> Made it to, oh, wow, actually, we've been doing games wrong all along right. in 3D spaces, right? And so it's almost like the, you know, the designers will prove out whether something, yeah. I, you know, the Wii, motion controls aren't as popular as they are they were in the past. But I don't, it's a gimmick in the sense that I think we use gimmick because it's different from our, like, it's a, Correct. away from the, it's a standard deviation. Like, it, it goes away Correct. from our, the norms. And then it's like, but the norms were good. We like I like pressing the A button <laughs> yeah, and the, right, and the right. thing junks. And right. then it's like when we introduced the notion of, yeah, but what if you like flipped the device and it detected that you moved it and then you jumped? And it's like, well, yeah. all right. Um, <laughs> yeah, right, right. You know, right. and then I, I think it just kind of depends on, you know, it's sort of at that point up to the device and the, the games that surround it to sort of justify, is this something that is a curiosity of like, oh, this is an interesting experiment. Um, yeah. Or does this introduce the notion that like this this could have like longstanding implications for yeah. Now, how we think about interfacing with games. Now I kind of want like a Wikipedia gimmick index that's like, <laughs> uh, was it called a gimmick? And then did it ultimately be pretty, pretty a gimmick? Uh, do you do you agree, Arissa? Like with, uh, do you think that, uh, uh, what is the line between gimmick and not gimmick? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree. It's like, being proven otherwise mm-hmm. afterwards, I guess time. Time, time is it the takes key time. element. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. We gotta hang in there. We gotta hang in there as long as we can. <laughs> we gotta get the green row on the spreadsheet of gimmicks. Yeah. Well, you know, because if you think about like something like like music games, right? Like Dance Dance Revolution, like like you know, it was a gimmick, but also games like that, Beat Mania, essentially, you know, birthed a genre, yeah. which is like, oh, actually, you know, we don't get Rock Band and you know, Guitar Hero and other ways of sort of like turning, uh, simplifying yep. the interface for like uh, simulating a like a music instrument without something that's like I don't know 
what if you hit big arrows that sort of went to the beat? <laughs> Which like it is a it is yeah. a gimmick, but I think the gimmick can then gesture at like a deeper idea that the gimmick is like articulating, yeah. right? Like, and I think you can do draw a direct line from like motion controls to VR, yeah. which is like, oh, but like, what if your body was more involved in the process of inter- interacting, and it wasn't just the controls are you know manipulating a thing on screen? It's like you're in VR, like your head's involved, or increasingly mm-hmm. the the controllers can detect your fingers, and you can you know like the the quest and, and like the index can tell that your your individual fingers are moving like you know relative as opposed to you know, it just being like a big button that you're holding. And so I think all that stuff, like it's it's almost like you're like kind of scratching at the surface mm-hmm. of a thing and you're like not sure how whole the how how deep that hole goes. And it's and it can be the case that maybe, you know, I guess I hope cable in in Arisa for your sake, the play date like is the thing, but it's also that like maybe it's a maybe yeah, it's a stop sure. on the road to like a broader understanding totally sure. of like, yeah. oh, we look we look back in ten years and like these are th- like kind of steps on the road to, oh, we arrive here because people were yep. trying this. Well, you know, it was interesting because when Jesper first showed us his design, dream design for Playdate, and it had the crank. The crank I wonder, was, I wonder if he has a black and white, and what if, like, that studio has black and white memories of cranks. And That's actually a really good could, question. I wish I could talk to Jesper. <laughs> I feel like it would be totally the Ratatouille moment. Do you have him, a like, sad yeah. crank yeah. memory about a family <laughs> member that tragically passed, but the crank is what you think about? Like, that's what I'm, they that's what I'm looking down for. The well. It did, I know. To get yeah, you tried to get the crank, the and it, no, it broke. <laughs> the rope broke. Yeah. Oh, great. Now my video looks frozen. Why? You're okay. You're Okay, I'm okay. Yeah, so. okay. I'm just, I don't know why my computer is garbage today, but um, uh, I, it was not, I'm just letting this pose that I'm frozen in. I don't know if you get the same one. No, you're, just, uh, no you're just, no, okay. you're moving. Your wonderful face okay. is, is still moving. Uh, incredible computer. Uh, so the, uh, he had many ideas and it was not just the crank. And there was like a touch sensitive slider he wanted to put on there. Hmm. And there were like some other, uh, he really wanted to do like a spring-loaded thing on the side, almost like a pinball plunger. Oh, wow. uh, and and that to me was I somehow personally managed to hit the gimmick line. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I think if we load this up with like three to nine different uh physical controls, people are deaf. Like, it's hard enough explaining Playdate as it is, and right. then having to explain the season of games and stuff. I let's just stick with oh, and there's also a crank. <laughs> you would turn it into so, uh yeah. did, did you ever play uh the, the the game Bop It. Do you remember that? Oh, I love love a Bop It. Essentially, you'd be t- what you're describing is like a Bop <laughs> yeah. It. It's like twist like, it. Yeah, yeah, Punch turn it. it. Yeah, yeah, and you would just do crank yeah. it. All right now, I got to pull the thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> drop it. Yeah. No, actually, don't drop it. Yeah, uh, yeah, Bop It. Man, that was a good piece of electronics. Hey, Patrick. Speaking of uh, plastic uh, guitars, which I also mm. loved, this really isn't important to this interview, but I am curious Hit what. Me. What do you think happened with that industry? Did it blow up too big? Did it get too large? Did it crescendo with Beatles Rock Band, which they maybe overshot? Because I want those still, but they're gone. I can't buy them <sighs> yeah, for my it really PS5 bum- or my yeah. Yeah, no, it super bums me out. I I I those games. I feel like well, the expensive peripheral like had its like day in the sun in the Dreamcast and then the Wii era. Yeah, and it's like it seems like at some point. I really wish those things had a subscription service. That's the thing that killed it for me, oh, right? It was like, I yes. loved Rock Band and then got really tired of paying twelve ninety nine, you know, every week to like, to get yeah. the songs that I wanted. I would mm. much rather have said, look, yep. can I just pay 20 bucks a month, download whatever I want, and then lose access to it so that, like, say, mm-hmm. hey, when I have a party, I'll just right. sign up. And it just seems like that would have been maybe a more sustainable way of... Yeah. They kept putting out these new 
additions, like a Beatles rock band. And they were like uh, big boxed things. And like that was their revenue stream was like having yeah. to put out like essentially like a new Madden. It's like, here's the new rock band. And I can't, right. I can't help but wonder, would it have been more profitable or at least more sustainable to just give people mm. like sustained access to the music over time um, in the way that we have, you know, we have so many other subscription uh, services. Well, at the time, there probably weren't that many subscription services, no. right? That was no. like right before Spotify, right. definitely right before Apple Music. The music industry maybe wasn't ready. Oh man, I think you're right. I think I would have been. A and they would have to difference. renegotiate yeah. all the rights to like oh all god, the music they're <laughs> so, like you could like you just couldn't. couldn't yeah. and they're still putting out tracks for Rock Band. Like it's like, it oh, not know a that. it is not a dead uh, project, but it is not oh, that's uh, alive in the way that um you know like you are like that you're speaking to it, which is like I would like. Brand new, like high end peripherals that I'd be happy to pay hundreds of dollars. Like, what I, it is one yeah. of those things that I kind of wish if they did some sort of Kickstarter for, or like they're owned by Epic now. Come on, use a little bit oh. of fucking Fortnite money. <laughs> Come on, right? Just like lift up the couch cushion. Yeah, give me a <laughs> yeah. taste of like, uh, like you can take the brunt of the expensive peripherals, like, yeah, Sweeney. For like, sure. you, like, you can, you can do this for me. And so, I don't know, like, I, you know, I, I try not, I, I, I desperately loved that era and I at least got it far yeah. enough that um, I I never dreamed of being a musician, but the the thing that I always, ever, some people do air guitar and air drums, mine was always the keyboard. And yeah, yeah. Um, so when they finally in Rock Band 4 got around to mm-hmm. doing keyboards and I was able to like actually are simulate kind of playing a synthesizer, which I cannot and have no interest in doing in real life. I just want to jump for I want to be like in the Matrix. Which you don't is like, want to learn. Just no, I don't yeah. want to learn. I just yeah. want to noodle with it and like I just feel want like to play. I'm, Yeah. And like it was it legitimately, legitimately fulfilled a dream. Like to be That's able awesome. to do that. That's the best case scenario. And it was yeah. super cool. And then they just immediately dropped support for the keyboard because nobody else <laughs> wanted to do the keyboard. And Damn it. Damn uh, it. that part sucked for me personally, yeah. but yeah. I at least got like a brief window in which I got to kind of experience it. And that that, mm. that that moments like that were an articulation of the, like the the gimmick line that we're talking about, which is, right. is like, yeah, like again, even Rock Band itself is a collection of gimmicks put together, but it also right. simulates like a fantasy and allows people who have no mm. musical ability whatsoever may not even yeah. be an ambition thing. It's just like my fingers don't work that way. My brain doesn't work that way. I'm never going to be able to even mm. get amateur status and something like Rock Band allows me to like just like gesture at that and like get a sense yeah. of it. And it was really it was really fucking cool. Like it really yeah, that's incredible. It meant a yeah. lot to me. Um, and now it's all gone and you can't connect it to your. I'm sorry. Devices. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean no, to bring see, up this, the sadness. This is my just, sad crank story. It's, it's, is that I don't. <laughs> I can't play the Halloween soundtrack on my. Oh. Uh, my they never did that. That would have been what I would have paid for. They like, should have done that. That's that a really good one. Yeah. yeah. Well, the new Halloween Just, soundtrack that John Carpenter did with the son is extremely good. It's got a guitar oh, in it. Man, anyway, can we talk about John Carpenter being the best? Okay. Anyway, that's another sorry, podcast sorry. for another time. Um, yeah. But um, <laughs> you know, Arissa, I'm I'm curious. Uh, you know, what were I think the first? You know, as as Cable said, as, as anyone that's seen the play date. You know, the, the first question is about the crank. I'm curious, as you talk to developers, like, I don't know, like, what what questions were they asking you about the device that um, that maybe you noticed over time were, like, the kinds of things that people, like, immediately started buzzing about? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the people we've talked to, we're talking to, they were already very excited about Playdate. Mm-hmm. And so what we did was we sent them a Playdate to kind of play around with it. So I don't know. They didn't really have any questions about or like, I mean, they're excited about the crank and like how they can like implement that until they're like gameplay. 
Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Cable, do you? Can you remember anything? Like it's no. <laughs> weirdly, <laughs> weirdly, there was not. Again, it depends on the developer. I feel like the reaction, and, and I know obviously you kind of arrived after we had signed a lot of those developers, but you right. did help mm-hmm. us sign a lot more. But um, I, I feel like it was just a switch. It was either, hey, that looks pretty cute. Like, good luck with that. <laughs> or yep. it was like, give me yeah. that right now immediately because I need to do something for that immediately. And so uh, I don't know if that's like an interesting personality test. I mean, honestly, we're probably seeing, you know, there's the same thing happening with customers. I doubt there's any line in between. Uh, yes, I resonate with that. I want that right now. Uh, there's probably not a lot of people that are were on the fence. I mean, maybe, maybe this week, maybe we proved ourselves slightly. We always have more to do. But um, yeah, it's just an interesting, it's just an interesting binary, I think. Yeah, I know. I think I think you that definitely speaks to something. Like when I remember when I when I saw it, I was like, "Oh, this speaks to me," and I I don't know why, but <laughs> yeah. I need to, I need to turn this thing and see see what people do with it. And I think I, I think that kind of like polarizing reaction, which is good, right? Like I I wrote in yes. my piece that you know I love the Steam Deck, it's a great machine. It's like yes. the thing I've used the most in the last really couple incredible. of months. Um, very mm-hmm. excited to see what they do with it. But like as I put in 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 my review, it was like, well, the Steam Deck you look at, and Valve said. Um, Yes, and what else? Uh, whereas I looked at the play date, and it seemed mm-hmm. like a device in a very sort of Apple-like fashion in which there were a lot of no's involved, right? You know, mm-hmm. it was like, well, we could do this, but we're not going to do this. Yeah. Or we tried this, and we're not going to do this. And much more, sure. <laughs> whereas, like, I see all those compromises and decisions and choices in the play date, whereas, like, a Steam Deck I look at, and they're just like, no, nah, we can no, nah, we can do it. Like, we got it. I, <laughs> I like the voice. For yeah, it's like, so it's like, oh, yeah. we got that this. thing. Like, why? It's like, <laughs> Aiming. All right. Yeah. 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 There's like shelling into a basement and there's just a guy yeah. jamming a gyroscope into the. I think that's the exactly. Bed. Now, Arisa, you worked a valve. Are we describing valve accurately? Is this exactly. Totally. What? This, is, yeah, okay. this is so that's accurate. What I thought. That's yeah, exactly what in I thought. the basement, like jamming gyroscopes yeah. into the devices. Yep. <laughs> Somebody had a gyroscope. That's exactly. Two track pads. Two track pads. Yeah. Yes, uh, like I'm trying to rein myself in. The uh, you're correct, um, and and you know we explored some wild, wild ideas, right? And uh, so people at Panic are very kind and very good and very smart, and won't be like super rude or abrasive if I'm like, hey, what if the back? Maybe what if like you take off four screws at the end of the season and you remove a backplate and there's a secret little color screen that's been there the whole time, <laughs> which is actually one of my real ideas. And we like explored it and Dave like kind of very politely uh, hinted at maybe that's a little too much. It might be a little bit too complicated and expensive. And maybe we don't else. want everyone breaking their devices yeah, and exactly. then having to <laughs> ship them back. Also, to me, it seemed very funny that like you've been. <laughs> playing on a black and white screen this whole time but there was actually a tiny backlit color screen that you didn't know about and I'm like that will be hilarious and then I started to think about it more I'm like oh actually no <laughs> I think that would actually make a lot of people quite angry so uh yeah anyways we'd It'd be better if it was in one, one in every like 5,000 and it's like look <laughs> see if you, got the yeah, you might screen. have the gold would you like to open up your boutique handheld good luck and um, avoid your warranty but you might have but a you might screen. have <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, this that. disclaimer, please, please don't open the back of the plate. Please, <laughs> it's not. There's true. nothing in there. There's nothing in there. <laughs>
Um, I appreciate you being responsible, Arissa. Uh, <laughs> Arissa, what did you do at Valve before you before you came to Panic? Um, I was in the business team, so I worked with the publishers, developers, um, helped release their game, market their game. So yeah, I don't want you to get in trouble for saying anything secret. Were they working at the Steam Deck when you were at Valve? Yeah, yeah, they were. <laughs> it was yeah. very. Very bulky when I saw it. <laughs> so sometimes I get really self-conscious about the fact that it took us a very long time to make Playdate. <laughs> like, I mean, five plus to eight, depending on how you're counting years. And so, but like, I was thinking about it this morning and I realize I like that I'm interviewing myself now, Patrick. No, I'm really, this, this could be a little really self-analysis session. I was thinking... <laughs> We're gonna cry about some cranks. For talk about working on a thing uh, for a decade. Maybe that's how long it takes to make a hardware project when you're what nine people, like eight right. to nine people, maybe were the core of the team. Plus, we don't crunch. Like nobody's in the office on the weekend, and nobody's in the office you're after not cranking six. Out, um, not, <laughs> it can't be helped to do that, Patrick. You have, you cannot be helped. But I, I think I feel good about that. So if you could just lie and tell me that the Steam Deck also took eight years, <laughs> well, I, really I mean, I, I don't even know what. What year it is right now? But I mean, oh, maybe. Okay, good. I mean, I, maybe I, is I, all I, I need. I interviewed uh, some of the folks over there in, in advance of that coming out, and in some ways, yes, like it has been almost a decade. If you talk about like the the, the Steam Deck doesn't work without Proton, like the Linux oh, yeah. layer that True. like that was essentially translate the code, and so like their interest yeah. in Linux and like building a way that like, hmm, how do we ask people? No one's going to port their games. How do we like just figure that out? And right. Essentially, do that in real time, like. This de- like that work in which like one of the primary engineers, uh, Pierre, like on the Steam Deck, would like pioneered that work at at Valve, like you know, Amazing. going on a decade ago. And so there is okay. a world where cable, good. you can tell yourself, I feel yes, good now. <laughs> you work just as fast yeah. as Valve to get out the Steam Deck. Yeah. Um, I mean, Valve has Valve time. We have Panic time. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it might be the same. There I might be know. the same time. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, I feel like panic time was when I read the blog about the battery or the CPU. Oh, uh, tell me about it. <laughs> tell me about it. I felt, every, reading that, I was like, I just feel like I can feel the sweat coming Ugh. through this blog post. For people who don't, were listening, just know, know, like, there, yeah. was a, there was a moment where, well, I guess maybe it's easier for you to explain cable, but basically you had to like change <sighs> the CPU and like, because the global <laughs> pandemic said, what if you don't want to ship this for three more years? Yeah, there was like a, there's been multiple of those, but the biggest one for sure was, Right when we were on the brink of shipping, when we said we would ship late last year, we are sending out new units. Ah, Rissa, you almost know more about this than I do, but we were sending out new units to developers and they would be like, hey, it's kind of behaving weird or it won't turn on. Uh, and we're like, what do you mean it won't turn on? <laughs> Which is definitely not what you want to hear. Uh, and what happened, Arissa? I mean, it was just, they were just bad batteries, right? We were just getting bad batteries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> Man, Basically. it's a, so we switched, fully switched battery suppliers at pretty much the 11th possible hour. I mean, like a I'm sure that's fine, nightmare. right? It's just a couple yeah, oh, of emails oh, and a phone call. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a note somewhere in my phone when I was at the darkest place <laughs> sometime before Christmas. And I was, oh, I found it. I was, I was... Honestly, my first reaction to this, and I don't know what this says about me, was like, I 
think we're done. Like, maybe we need to cancel play. <laughs> this was a good like, run. You know, I really, yeah, we actually, we got really far. We're going to disappoint some people, but that's okay. <laughs> we can refund everybody or whatever. Like, I mean, I really hit that point, which actually kind of surprised me because I kind of kept it together this whole time. But uh, my son, who is now 12, obviously could sense in the household yeah. that I was not in a great place. And, um... He like came into my office out of the blue. I'm going to read you verbatim what he said to me. And he said, uh, you're going to find a way to fix this. You've been working on this thing for almost 10 years. He was a couple years off, but that's yeah. okay. And you fixed so many problems. The world won't let you stop here. And I was like, jo <laughs> Joey, I just burst into tears. <laughs> That's your Craig story. That's your Craig story. There it is. <laughs> so, I mean, honestly, it really did help to hear him say that. I mean, it was really did kind of make me realize we have overcome so much. This is just another one of those little anecdotes for a podcast someday. We'll, you know, <laughs> we'll, we'll get through it. So, anyways, it totally sucked. Uh, and I'm sure there will be another one at some point in the future. But we're here today and we managed to ship at least some units this week. So and mine I turns on. It's still on. So <sighs> yeah, that's all that. The, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it sucked. <laughs> um, I guess the last question I leave on because I know Kibble, you have a hard out. Oh, in yeah. Minute here ah, is, yeah. Uh, I wish I could well, you know, we could always always next time. Um, okay. Is uh, the thing that probably delighted me the most was so I think my favorite games like balance between cranking and Omaze, right? Is that how you pronounce mm. it? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That game just really broke my brain and like, just delighted in like having to figure awesome. out. Okay, I would like tell myself in advance like, all right, so I'm gonna go clockwise. 30 degrees and then switch and then I'm going to go counterclockwise because there's that object that switches the direction so I'm not going clockwise and like and I'm like yeah. having to sound it out like I'm doing a, a strategic move on a board game um, before like I you know do these actions and in some of the later levels the thing that really got me was discovering that the device can detect if the crank is put away or not yes. mm -hmm. and there's a yes. mechanic and I don't want to spoil it for people you know who mm -hmm. eventually get into playing this but like there's a mechanic that involves like putting the crank in and taking it out. And that just, I then had wanted to just ask like, at what point did you decide? Like you were saying, there's a lot of things you said no to, but at some point someone said yes to like, we also need some sort of way to detect that the crank is put away so that the yeah. software can tap into that. And I'm just curious, like what the story is on that. I, I think that was a Dave. And I think the part needed to do that was really cheap and he realized that if you just tuck a little magnet sensor into the cavity, uh, I think that really just came from him. And uh, it was one of those things where like, yeah, of course, sure. Why not? We, it might be helpful to know whether it's docked or not. Of course, we were thinking more on a practical basis. Like, it would be great <laughs> if we could sense that or whatever. And I feel like the satisfaction for me of this whole project beyond anything that I could have imagined was people taking the thing that you built and had an idea of and making it do things that you never even could have imagined. And I think that's one of the reasons why we made Pulp too. was I want to extend that to everybody. I want to see everybody make something that I couldn't have imagined because it is just so incredible and energizing that as oh, as humans, oh, he, Cable's going off the rails again. As human beings, you're hitting your heart we, out, Cable. Don't rant too far as you I'm try. I'm blasting through that heart out, Patrick. <laughs> that we there are so often overwhelmed, especially like even on Twitter when there's like a hashtag for like you know portfolio day or whatever, and I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, I want to see this. 
there are so many talented people on this planet. It is like overwhelming. There are like, I, I feel like infinite, nearly infinite untapped and often tapped creativity. And uh, <laughs> some people have that outlet and some people don't. And um, the fact that we can make a little box and set some parameters and give out an SDK for free and make a little pulp thing. And now we kind of just, we don't get to sit back and relax. It will never be relaxing. <laughs> but now we get to kind of just look at this and see what people do with it. Anyways, that I think that's a good example. All we had to do was put a little magnet sensor in the on the PCB next to where the crank goes and let's see what happens from that. And uh, to me, that is the part of this whole project that has definitely made the last five to 98 years fully <laughs> worth it. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's my answer. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, just for the record, PR. I got him as close as I could. He knew. <laughs> he knew what he was doing. Nick is like, mm. no, you did great, Patrick. I'm so sorry. I did 46, pretty good. I'm, a, I, um, I'm, I'm actually, yeah, I'm actually headed to of all things a workout, which is uh, slightly embarrassing to mention. I'm trying to get exercise. Well, good for you. Hey, Emma, no. Emma gets very grumpy if I'm late. I have to not make Emma mad. So anyway, no, you're yeah, good. All right. Well, for, thank you. Yeah. Thank you to Arisa and Cable for hanging out and chatting at the play date. Congrats on getting it out. And thank you. Uh, looking, yeah. looking forward to to seeing more yeah and i hope we can talk again sometime it's really nice to see you again and i hope you're doing well and someday we can hopefully say hello in person we'll see absolutely yeah, yeah. all cool. right all right take care thanks for the time everyone bye. see you yeah, enjoy your thank weekend you so much thanks bye. for your time bye. you can find more information about the play date at play.date i've got my review up on the website where you can read all about my impressions i talked about it on the podcast fairly recently as well uh, unfortunately due to production delays it's you if you go and pre-order one now at play.date can't get one till 2023 although i'm sure someone willing to part with it for a lot of money on ebay <laughs> but my thanks to cable and arisa for joining me uh we're going to take a quick break and then come back with a out of left field interview with filmmaker Neil Blomkamp, who is involved in an upcoming battle royale game. Uh, Rob and I had a chance to speak with Neil. See you after the break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And we're back. Uh, <laughs> a couple weeks back, Rob got an email that was like, hey, do you want to talk to filmmaker Neil Blomkamp? Uh, he's involved in a new video game. And obviously, like, Blomkamp has had, you know, for years was trying to adapt Halo into a into a movie, as is talking uh, about how things like Half-Life and the aesthetic bled into films like District 9. Um I was like, Rob, let's just say yes. Just say yes. We need, you know, we need to say yes. Just say yes. Why not? Why not talk to Neil Blomkamp? What? What's the worst that can happen? Um, and the best that can happen is that you talk to Neil Blomkamp and he compliments you on your Children of the Corn 
t-shirt, which I don't even know if that made it in to this edit, but just just know that he he did like my stylized Children of the Corn t-shirt, um, to which I then pitched him on watching Children of the Corn 2 and 3. Your mileage may vary on that. Anyway, he is involved as a chief visionary officer at Godzilla Games. We're working on an upcoming Battle Royale. They're calling it Battle Royale 2.0. Yeah, <laughs> a game called uh, Off the Grid that's coming out in 2023. We we talk about like what does chief visionary officer mean? You know, that's usually kind of a BS term that you hear a lot when Hollywood types come in to projects like this. But like really early on in the conversation, we talk about okay, what's going on here? What's your involvement? Is can you really just parachute into making a video game? Um, and really enjoyed uh talking uh with Neil about that. Even give it a little. I don't think. It, hmm. Rob definitely professed his love or appreciation for Chappie when we did the intro. Once again, recording this without knowing what Kyle was going to do with it. I've never seen Chappie. Do I need to watch Chappie? We don't get into that here. But maybe the conclusion of this interview is that I need to, I need to watch Chappie. So anyway, uh, on to our interview with Neil Blomkamp. So Neil, welcome to Waypoint Radio. Uh, Thanks for having me. I think my first question is, so what does being a chief visionary officer entail? And is there any way that you avoid being the dreaded ideas guy that is the, you know, natural nemesis of producers and department chiefs uh, working on a project? I mean, I think any um, creative uh, lead position is always going to be the nemesis of producers, right? Because you're, you're, you're at odds with, with budgetary constraints. Um, but you know, over the last few years, I've started to think of it kind of more like it's, um, it's like a spectrum where the producers are also creative, but they're weighted more towards financial and the, and the creatives should actually, yes, they're predominantly creative, but they should have a weight towards something, um, with an eye towards being, you know, playing within the, the box that the budget defines. So they're actually doing, they're both doing the same thing. They're just weighted differently. Um, so with Godzilla, it hasn't really been um, confrontational at all in in that way. It's been good. There, there's just technical limitations that you run into and and scope limitations, and you just have to play within the within the sandbox. But yeah, chief visionary office is pretty, pretty, pretty bold. Um, <laughs> uh, the CEO, Vlad Korolev, is is uh, is pretty awesome. And I, I think he came up with that. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the time I'll just run with it. So it's it works. Uh, I was reading that over the years, you know, obviously, <clears throat> you know, your own history with, you know, trying to adapt things like Halo, but also your outward. You're just posting screenshots of like Doom and Counter-Strike to your Twitter accounts, like clearly like a long. And you've spoken yeah. about the, the, the way things like Half-Life influenced District 9. Um, yeah. It's one thing to be like a fan of video games and be like, you know, I'd like to make one of those. Now you're in the mix of like helping craft one of those. I'm cl- yeah. I'm, I'm so curious. What were some of the assumptions you brought in of like, this is what it's going to be like to build a video game. And then you get in there and it's like, oh, no, <laughs> this is what it's like to build a video game. Yeah, no, you're you're I mean, it's incredibly, you know, you have to go through the process to kind of understand the differences, which I, I didn't until I began. And it is it is really interesting. I mean, one of the things with film is, you know, the, it really is the 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 director's vision and um you you kind of you kind the the crews kind of work towards that right where in in games there's so many departments that are so integral to how the system runs that when when the design team and i had to also learn that like design doesn't mean what i think design is design means like the structure of the game 
um, which in this game is headed up by Scott Proben. And when those when when those guys say like these these are some of the aspects that have to happen, right? You have to reverse engineer your creative around these things, um, which is which is different for me. So then it's like you sit down and you go, okay, why? Like what what are the reasons for that? And then they explain them. And each time that happens, you sort of iterate in your own mind and understand more and more about okay, I'm, now I get why they need this. And then some other department says that they need something, and you have to sort of work with that. And you can sort you can certainly force things like um, more more like you know like a film director, but it's it's counterproductive. Uh, and the more you learn and understand how the whole organic system is built and why each person is saying something, um, you you know you become more of a team member and part of part of the group. And I mean, I, I certainly am just relying on a bunch of people that really know what they're doing. I'm I'm acting more aesthetically and. Uh, you know, it's it's almost from like a, a visual and, and story standpoint with um, working with Richard Morgan, who wrote Altered Carbon in the narrative team. So it's very creative for me and very fun, but it is it, it's a learning curve. And yeah, when you talk about Counter Strike and uh, <laughs> and Half Life, like that office that office level from uh, from CS, like one of the first batches of, of Counter Strike, it's like men. I spend a lot of time in there and it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that sort of leads to one of my other questions, which is that I feel when I think back, for instance, to times that like previous filmmakers got involved with making games, I think maybe most famously or infamously, like, uh, like Danny Wilson on home front, okay. uh, things like things like that, where they approach it very much as coming from a film background, what story are we telling? What are the, what yeah. are the, what are the, uh, you know, what's the shot sequence we're going to, to go with here. And obviously like even in narrative games, uh, where it's, it's telling a very linear story, you're still really constrained by mm -hmm. the way you can tell the story, like how, like the mm -hmm. degree to which you can control the player's attention. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's it seems like it's even more daunting challenge when you're talking about uh, something like a battle royale where it's kind of an ongoing universe. And like what you have is a setting that maybe tells a story, but mm -hmm. at the same time, sometimes by its very nature, that world mm -hmm. is going to be a static playground. The players revisit again and again. And I'm, I'm just yeah. curious, like how you approach the, the, the narrative art uh, in a project like this. Well, I mean, there's two components to your question, right? Like the first one, when you're saying that filmmakers move into games and they focus on like, what story are we telling? Um, I've I've spent a lot of time thinking about that, and you know, a lot of there's there's a lot of people that that have this this idea that that games and film will sort of eventually merge into into one thing, and it's just kind of a, this 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 uh, narrative world that you're sort of dropped into, and I'm I'm not entirely sure it's going to play out that way like i my my own personal point of view is when you watch films that have an effect on you and they move you the reason that that's happened is because the writer or the director has a point of view about some emotional experience that they've they they've either lived through or that they have thought a lot about and when they put it down on on paper and turn it into a film it they they are basically it's it's like a it's like a small um piece of mythology from their mind that they're giving you right so you you are affected by it do you see what i'm saying yeah, yeah. It, it means you're automatically passive there's no way around that and and so if you're if you're active um if if the player has agency in the world that you've set up 
the only you're not going to ever get that same experience. And I also I'm also not sure that people want that in games because I think something like GTA is a good example of where I actually think things will go like hyper photorealistic borderline real version of GTA like some place you get dropped into and then it's it's more like you're able to do whatever you want and it it feels and and that's the literally the direct opposite of being of of ingesting a sort of mythological storytelling from some other mind right you're just you just have free agency over the world that you're inside of so i think those two things are at odds with one another um but in the case of of off the grid uh, a lot of the stuff was established by by Richard Morgan when I came on board. So, um, you know, there was a there was a there was a world and a very clear way that the battle royale would operate within that world. Uh, and I was just stoked to to be part of it and sort of piggyback on the back of it and build more. Um, so I didn't come into it going like, well, what story should we tell? I, I sort of inherited a lot of stuff and uh and then just immersed myself in the team and started working on it so in this particular case it totally suits me because i feel like i, I mean i love cyberpunk i love the setting i love uh, there's a lot of stuff in it that i really really dig and and it's also a good um a good game to kind of cut your teeth on you know i guess i am a little surprised that the project you know you i read in a previous interview that you know obviously you've had different offers or different, you know, conversations about getting involved in games at one point or another. But it's something that comes from a film background in which you have a little more like like direct authorship over what the audience is seeing. Like yeah. the, the Battle Royale is like the other end of the, the spectrum of yeah. that. And so I'm like, what, what attracted you like to that specifically? Like one where as a creative, you're giving yeah. up a lot of that authorship in in the process. Well, I mean, it it goes back a little bit to what I was saying before, which is this idea of of story versus what I think games actually provide for audiences or players. Um, so I, I was OK with that. But on another level, I when I when I was much younger, I came out of, uh, you know, in South Africa, I wanted to work in prosthetic effects or or uh, visual effects because I didn't really I didn't know exactly how the whole system of filmmaking happened. And by the time I got to Canada, I realized I could be a director, but I'd already been in um, in animation and visual effects for like a couple of years. And so my my obsession in in visual effects was photoreal environments and places you could be dropped into where like the light and the sound and the 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 environment is something that is a very much part of the creative process or the creative goal. And when you when you fast forward now, you know, like 22 years later, things like Unreal 5 and, um, you know, real time radiosity and light bouncing all over the place and like just the the insanity that is happening now on like uh, RTX 3090 cards. It's it's incredibly if you can find one. (laughs) Yeah, you can wrestle one for miners hands. You, you, You can you can play games on it, but that. That kind of like three-dimensional other world, the sort of this this other environment that you're building, you know, is is incredibly appealing to me. And then you can it becomes more like world building then, because then it's like, what's what is our story? You know, if we go 30 years back and 30 years forward, and this is the snapshot of time that the game takes place in. There's there's almost like uh, this fractal, never-ending sort of amounts of resolution that you can go into to flesh that world out. And it's it's I mean, to me, it's like very creatively satisfying. So we're we're built in my mind, we're building a sort of like a an, a world and and I want to be part of them. So, so 
here, here's a question because that, that just put me in mind of something else, uh, which is that got a a colleague of ours. I forget which critic in our space made this observation. So apologies to whoever whoever's idea I'm cribbing here. But they talk about how like live service games as they roll out, like things like cosmetics and they do like theme packs and like tie-ins and such. He talked about like how eventually aesthetically in the set, like the the model for games like this tends to strip away the identity of a world that gets built because eventually like if you have to make room for, and the cast of the predator is here and so is the cast (laughs) of the terminator and also like DC, uh, like once like all these things have to coexist in the space, like things don't look very much like the world you begin with. Like I think like a lot of, uh, special outfits in halo, for instance, Mm. Mm-hmm. That world, like you see a character like that, you're like, that's not a Spartan. That's that's oh, the, a, that's but the cat ears are so cute, Rob. Um, <laughs> like, what's let 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 the Spartan have a little cat ear as a treat? But, yeah, but that's that's kind of thing. We talk about like coming into this from like the standpoint <laughs> of being excited about like these these details of production and sort of building a world about that. I'm curious, like, what you make of that arc in live service games where the model often like later entails, you know, that visual identity we built up, we're going to smash it. (laughs) I'm curious what you, what you make of that. And like, whether you think it ends up like changing the feel of a world or a game. It absolutely changes it. I mean, there's, there's no question. Uh, I've spoken to, I've spoken to UC who's, who's the art director at Godzilla about this. And he, he always, uh, he always references like this, you know, sort of season one, hyper real, very cool cyberpunk vibe. And you cut to like season eleven, and it's just the banana <laughs> outfit, you know, with like the cat ears. So you're you're completely correct. I mean, it it is that that is a little bit at odds with um, with with what interests me about it for sure. But I also think that there's a lot of thinking that you can do maybe about what some of those those cosmetics could be, and um, and doing it in a way that is maybe more integral to the to the world. But I mean, basically, at some point, you have to understand, or I have to understand, that um, that the playing audience, obviously, on uh, mass, seems to like something about about being more and more crazy and being more and more elite and and more and more like um, identifiable and unique in the environment. So you got to sort of challenge yourself to see if you can combine that with something that feels organic to the world. Uh, in your in your previous project, Demonic, uh, I, there, I, I'm curious if there's any connective tissue between, in that film, you know, a lot of the sequences take place in a virtual world. You play mm-hmm. with the camera perspective, like specifically setting it at isometric, which feels yeah. very video gamey. You yeah. play with that's my favorite uh, shot in that movie. That's pretty, yeah, and it's, I it's did that it's, movie it's, for that shot actually, <laughs> uh, like the Sims kind of um, orthographic isometric point of view. Right, and it feels extremely trippy. If you are unfamiliar with video games and how they handle cameras, like I was yeah. sitting watching with my wife, she's like, "What is going on here?" And I was like, "Oh, well, let me let me hold <laughs> on, pause the movie, Google search." And she's like, "Oh, okay." And I was like, "He's a big <laughs> video game guy, like, and he's playing." And so, having you know, shot a film in which you're clearly doing kind of a marriage of like your creative uh, mm-hmm. and personal interest in video games with the sort of like horror sci-fi aesthetics and storytelling you do. And mm-hmm. now you're in a space where you're like actually building a video. I'm curious if there's any connected tissue between demonic and like where you were melding those things and then actually working with artists, designers, programmers, building building a world and building that in a space where you're actually holding the controller. 
I would say no, there's no connective tissue. Like they're they're just two very separate um thought processes. They're 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 not they're not connected. Uh I mean a lot of what we did with with demonic was those environments were photogrammetry, right? They were gathered using they were not modeled and built by by artists. And and that kind of puts you in a slightly different headspace. So no, I don't I don't think they're the same. But I think I do think that at some, you know, very far back basic brain level, I think whoever the creator is of certain various pieces of work, there's always going to be some sort of DNA lineage that ties them together. And that that may even be operating subconsciously, you know. So it but on a conscious level, no, there's no connection. I mean, uh, off the grid is very particularly one thing that I I view one way. Um so one thing here, I was we got a press release this morning talking about like how the story evolves and that it's reacting to like uh, you know decisions made by the by the player base and these things roll across the the universe. And maybe it got me thinking one that that's a very different promise than like you know Fortnite famously is maybe the most successful like game like evolving game uh, that we see. The mm-hmm. rules change year to year. The story, but it's very much an authored story too. Like you you were you're very much just on the receiving end of like what are we doing this season? Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think of like analogies for this, for how this works. The only thing that comes to mind because it's been like a topic of conversation a lot in our space of late is like a game called Blaseball. Um, if you're familiar with that, which became no. a weird internet obsession where it was like an exercise in the collective storytelling. Uh, wasn't, where, wasn't the original Titanfall a little bit like this where you have like a mashup of like players and like they're like single player elements in like the multiplayer environment. I, I remember that being part of that original. Well, so the, original again. the original Titanfall, uh, no, it, t- it told the story through the levels. So every time you went into a team death match or whatever, okay. if you played the story mode, it was like, and for this one, we're doing control point. And then while you're playing a standard control point map, you have a radio drama, like just happening in the background where like Bill Paxton uh, is being like, I can't believe you would do this to us. Uh, you're a traitor and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this sounds a little bit more like, the idea is the player base is in here interacting with the world and, and playing their games, but is also having some sort of collective agency in like what the next stage, what the next chapter of the story looks like. And I'm, I'm curious, like, have y'all figured out how this works? Like what, what kind of you, what, what, how is storytelling and like the evolution of this world, like anticipated to work in this game? Uh, I mean, we're in the process of, of figuring it out a lot of a lot of it is discussions about scope and how much we can do um but i think i think the ambitions are uh are fairly well known like within the company i think i think it's quite i think it's quite clear it's a question of um being able to execute it just based on just based on like actual you know physical um limits uh but I, but i mean i won't reveal exactly how we're thinking of doing it because we need to know that we can do it first but <laughs> But I would say, yeah, there are there are uh, there is a goal to have um, a lot of a lot of real real time story elements um, that the players are experiencing along with Battle Royale. Uh, I do want to rewind very briefly. I believe at some point you said there, as I was referencing Titanfall, that you need to replay it. Yeah, it does beg the question. Have you played Titanfall 2? No. Oh, my God. Okay, Neil, like whatever whatever you do after this call, like right. Titanfall 2, one of the all-time single-player shooters, one of the greatest like sci-fi campaigns in video games. Like there is a time travel 
level in that game that is one of the greatest things I've ever experienced in a video game. It is it is unbelievable. It's a really it was a it was a game that was like high with critics and just like didn't sell nearly enough, which is why we don't have a Titanfall three. But I wonder why. I, like if it's uh, so good, like what would the reason be for that? Uh, Rob, it came out at the same time. I think it collided with a bunch of other games that were coming oh. out at the same time, and that, bad timing. It was it was extremely bad timing, but it is um it's one of those games you'll come out the other end and be like, wow, I can't wait to just download Titanfall three and start playing it, and then you'll go, oh no, they made Apex Legends instead, which is an excellent video game, but was yeah. <laughs> I wanted more of my mechs. Oh, crazy. Okay, yeah, no, I, I, I'm pretty familiar with the world of the first one, but I, I haven't played the second one. Was there a Weta Workshops connection with that? Or I'm th- probably thinking of Grey Goo, um, another, uh, another, uh, you know, game that sort of crashed and burned uh, on on launch that I'm really obsessed with. Uh, but, but I am curious, like as we're as we're sort of reminiscing about, uh, you know, games dearly departed. Uh, I, I am curious, like. In the current landscape, I know that some of the folks uh, that you're working with right now worked on things like Hunt Showdown mm-hmm. uh, and such. I'm, I'm curious if there are games like in the landscape right now or in the past few years that like have sort of uh, spoken to you. If you've had time to play them, uh, that have like spoken to you and that have sort of uh, sparked something uh, that you're taking with you into this project. Uh, you know, Hunt Showdown is actually pretty cool. That that game was pretty pretty awesome. I, I enjoyed that game. Um, in terms of uh, thinking of off the grid or affecting off the grid, not directly, not that I can think of. But again, I'm approaching it. I'm a lot of the game mechanics and the the the, the very complex um, sort of player mechanics and stuff come come from people that are much more experienced than I am. So mm-hmm. I'm coming at it more from from in in a in a live real time virtual environment. How do we flesh out this world and and hopefully some of the story elements? It's a slightly different thought process because I don't I'm not experienced enough to go into it and go like this this is the game that we should make. You know I need I need to do this for another ten years I think before it's like I can I can actually do that. I wonder um you know films take a long time to you know come into uh come into being but games take especially these games an extraordinarily long time to come to being in which it's one thing to sit in a a meeting and say, we would like to do this. And then it's quite another to be at the point where you can actually interact with it. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious like what your sort of history, you know, what it's been like so far to be like being like a really exciting, like jazzed up meeting where you all come out and like, yes, like these are gonna be some great ideas. Can't wait to see them. And it's like, (laughs) yeah, cool. Like in 18 months, hopefully like the team's got a prototype that we can, we we can show you. It's the the scale of games made, especially at the high end these days is not one year or two years, but is like four years or five years. They're massive undertakings. You could almost do like a, a, like a film jump cut from, from the enthusiastic young, on like you know day one to, to some like all the hairs falling out and just like gray and just you know at the like we're, we're a couple of days away from shipping it and it's been really painful um but i i think i'm used to those timelines because the films usually take about two years mm-hmm. so um you know if you add if you add some months to that it's not the end of the world you just have to keep your eye on on the larger goal uh i am curious just because i'm you know i've sort of been Today on Twitter, I've sort of been noticing some of the discourse around like the fact that uh, the latest Marvel movie is like booked out complete multiplexes. Uh, it's wall to wall. And I'm curious, like one thing that I often hear in relation to like the current cinematic landscape is like it's hard enough to 
like make a film. Mm-hmm. But now it's so hard even to get an idea out there uh, to even get something like greenlit and like find a space for it in the market. You, you, mean that, you mean that isn't you mean that isn't Marvel that isn't IP that people know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm curious, like your your take on that. Like, it does it does it feel, especially as someone who is like sort of known for building like new worlds and like telling new stories rather than sort of recycling, uh, you know, previous settings. Like, I'm, I'm curious, like how you react to that. Like where, like is film still a exciting possibility space, uh, for, for a person with like a lot of like storytelling and world building ambition. I think it's dying off for sure. I mean, there's to me, to me, it, it does feel quite, um, the, the only options you really do have. It's, it's almost like, in a lot of ways, the kind of the middle, uh, like you referenced Chappie earlier, and it's it's like the films like Chappie, this kind of between forty to sixty million dollar film where there's enough money to like really put some imagery on screen, but it isn't like it's not one hundred and twenty million or two hundred million. Um, it that that zone of film with with uh, with IP that it doesn't exist, you know, which is a new idea. Um, that feels like it's a dying, it's a dying breed. And I don't think that's a good thing at all. You know, I, I really just don't. I, I think I, I, it, it's like f- for all of the Star Wars films that are out there, it's almost like people have forgotten that when George Lucas made it in 77, it was like no one had seen anything like it before because he was striving to do something that was a bit different. And it's there's a complete saturation now of of just um, bankable known IP that will absolutely strangle out new ideas so they they tend to operate at much lower budget levels um and you know it's just how it goes so it's i don't, I don't think it's a good thing i don't think it's a good yeah. thing well that's part, it seems to partially lead you to doing a lot of crowdfunding endeavors to like find alternative yeah. ways of yeah. hey these are the things i want to do you know now that i've got this passionate fan base coming out of the films i've done before okay well if i can't get what what I want done through the traditional means, maybe I can ask the fans for for help, which has happened a lot in video games as well. Like lots of yeah, classic yeah. video games have come back only through the will of fans being like, yeah, of course I'd put five dollars to see, yeah, you know, this designer go go revisit something that they did thirty years ago. Yeah, it almost it almost feels like the more centralized Hollywood becomes, the more decentralized the sort of this, the online community is becoming, and. And this this kind of Kickstarter approach to you know other other forms of creativity will probably only grow, um, but I mean it's still there's a massive delta between between something that costs sixty million dollars and like you know you you're just you're just making two different things, but there are I mean obviously there are still companies like A twenty four and like there there are studios that that do that do things that are that are pretty cool, but it's it's kind of like what you're missing is like something along the lines of like the first Matrix say. Right. Where I want that experience. And and I think it's harder for filmmakers. I don't know if the Wachowskis could could do that in in um, in 2022. Well, and that's sort of like. From your standpoint, I'm curious, like obviously you're working right now on a on a video game. Um, but like in terms of where you look for future projects and where you're like, uh interest and effort lie as a creator like do you still look toward uh like major motion pictures do you look toward like more indie stuff do you like tv is often held out as like well you know the great filmmaking the great adult films of like 
20, 25 years ago. Now they are prestige TV series. And that's where, yeah. you know, the stuff is, is blooming. I'm curious, like how you sort of like, where do you see yourself in that landscape? Where, where are your ambitions uh, point from here? I mean, I, I have some TV projects that, that I'm, I'm developing because TV is interesting, but for my, the way my brain works, there's something about the sort of the campfire storytelling of like a, a sort of roughly two hour film that that has there, there there really is a mythological element to that that I'm not you don't get from TV despite how like Game of Thrones if aliens came to Earth and it was like let's talk about like some of the sort of human achievements in art I almost think Game of Thrones would be in there because it's so ridiculously massive in terms of scale and and just the endeavor is very impressive right but you still don't get something like this the, the kind of three act structure and wrap up of a sort of mythological story like say the end of the first matrix it doesn't affect you the same way right it's a different kind of thing it's like you're delving more into character and and longer form storytelling it doesn't it doesn't hit you the same way in a theater with experience with other people and i'm i'm on on an emotional creative level like i'm drawn to that experience it's 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 like one one thing that's all focus that that the audience walks out of the movie theater after having seen that's personally what I, what I'm drawn to um and then when you when you when you get into it then it's like well what exactly is the film that you're making in there because a lot of it is based on existing IP now and it's like that's cool you know you can play that game but then you must also make space as well to tell some of your own stories uh and games are becoming increasingly more uh, interesting to me, like, especially with things like Unreal 5 and just the level of, you know, the, the, the level of immersion that you can put people into is, is really fascinating. So I was, I was like really happy to be contacted by Godzilla, like, I don't know, like one and a half years ago or however long it's been. I want to do it more. All right. Well, uh, I think that, I think we're just about out of time and it's been a great conversation. I think we can leave it there. Uh, Neil, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us and we can't wait to hear more about off the grid. Yeah. Well, thank, thanks to you guys. And also I love the children of the corn shirt. Oh, thank you. Yes. You know, (laughs) one thing I will say is, uh, the second and third films are better than you'd think. There's like 10 of those. There's like a weird rights issue where, it just never reverts back to King or uh, like, like, cause he's like pretty specific about how he'd like distributes those rights. Like there's just some studio that just okay, yeah. kind of like the Weinstein company when they yeah, had like Hell, Hellraiser and something like that. Yeah. Like, look, as long as they make one every year, those rights never go anywhere. Yeah. But, so you don't want to watch children of the corn 10 unless you're a complete weirdo. Like I feel like you rarely want to watch any movie. That's, that's well, uh, like that's main 10. 10. I would argue when I see, you know, a, a film series has gotten a 10, I need to see how we got there. And then you get to Jason X. And so there are there. Anyway, I would, you know, t- Titanfall 2 and then Children of the Corn 2 and 3 would be my recommendations okay. coming out of this conversation. Okay, awesome. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> All, right. All right. Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah. take care. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Many thanks to Neil for joining us. That was a delight to have a brief conversation with the filmmaker who's made some movies I really, really like. And even the ones that are... Kind of a swing and a miss are interesting swing and a misses. Go watch the horror movie demonic he did during COVID. It's aesthetically wild. And he has done some really cool shorts uh, as well. Um, but that's a wrap on today's episode of Waypoint Radio. If you want more from Waypoint, you can follow us on Twitter at Waypoint. Facebook, YouTube at Waypoint Vice. Sign up for Waypoint Plus at waypointplus.com. You can listen manhunting. You'll be able to get a commentary for 
our upcoming uh, uh, not directors <laughs> to, like uh, you know a commentary track we're gonna do for uh, the thing from another world the 1951 film that made a big impact on John Carpenter before he directed the, his own take on the thing um, lots of other stuff on Waypoint Plus lots of really really good stuff um, our theme music is by Bowen the track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine you can learn more at waypoint.zone slash Bowen that's it that's it for today we'll be back on Friday until then fuck capitalism Go home. That's Chappie. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.